Thanks for joining us today at Springwell Church, where we want to draw spiritually thirsty people to Jesus by loving God, loving each other, and loving the world. We hope that today's message builds you up, gives you a little insight, and helps you find a brand new perspective. You can find us in Taylor, South Carolina, and online at springwell.org. That's springwell.org. Now let's jump into the message. So how many of you would say that you've had to learn way too many lessons the hard way? If you would just say, you know what, you're, yeah, why is that true? I mean, you know what, if you make it through, those stories are powerful, they make great testimonies if you survive. <laughs> and you know, what, you know what I'm talking about if you've had to learn things the hard way, that you literally still have the scars to prove it. I mean, you survived, but you barely survived, and now you have a story to tell. But wouldn't it be better if we could literally learn through the stories of other people that have gone through difficult times. Isn't it better to learn through somebody else's mistakes rather than to have to continue to make those same dumb mistakes on our own? Don't you agree? Let me tell you one of the reasons I love the Bible. And I wasn't raised to think this way. I was raised to think that everybody in the Bible is a, is a, is a hero. People in the Bible are like, um, they're like super saints. Hello, am I the only one? And so, you know, I would read the Bible, I would think, I'd never be like that. Because maybe all I ever heard on a Sunday morning was their highlight reels. You know, it was the end, of, it was that one particular time when they got it right. The thing I love about the Bible, and that I've grown to love even more with every passing year, is that the Bible is, is full of dysfunctional people just like me. Hello, y'all out there? It's full of dysfunctional people just like me. And when I look at their story as a whole, I go, wow, it's so cool to see that they made some really dumb mistakes and they survived. Not only did they survive, but God continued to love them and do something incredible through all of the brokenness of their, of their lives. In fact, 1 Corinthians 10 verse 11 says it like this. These things happened to them as examples. These things happen to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the, the culmination of the ages has come. It's just better to learn from the mistakes of others than to keep making those same dumb mistakes of our own. So for the next few weeks, we're going to look at the life of Joseph. Now, when I say Joseph, I'm talking about Joseph of the Old Testament, not Joseph of the New Testament. Joseph of the New Testament, that, that the one that probably comes to our mind first and foremost would be the, the earthly father of, of Jesus, right? We're not talking about the earthly father of Jesus. We're going back to the Old Testament to talk about um, the Old Testament. And here's what you need to know about his story. It's a fascinating story. In fact, it's so fascinating that when we started this, talking about this series a few weeks ago, a few months ago, um, it was going to be a three-week series. And then I went back to Jonathan. I said, I think, I think I'm going to need another week. So then it was a four-week series. And then I went back to Jonathan again. I said, whoops, sorry. It's going to be a five-week series because as you begin to look at the story, which is a beautiful, long story, it's amazing. He went from being a favored son and a beloved brother to being a favored son and a hated brother back to being a favored son and a beloved brother. It's just, it's a story the reason I love the story is it's a story of just ups and downs. It's really a story of dysfunction. And I've never looked at this story that way before. 
But when I looked at the story, and we're going to look at it this morning, we're going to jump in in just a second in Genesis 37. And when we do, you, you really, I hope what will happen to you this morning is you'll go, wow. I'm really thankful we're looking at this because I think they're more messed up than we are. My family looks pretty good compared to this crazy mixed up family. Okay, let's jump in, Genesis 37. Jacob, which is, those of you who don't know, that's Joseph's dad, lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob's family, his family line. Joseph, a young man of 17, how old was he? Make a note of that, especially in the weeks to come. When we get to week five, I'm going to refer you back to how old was, was Joseph when this whole thing started? 17. Was tending the flocks with his brothers, the son of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his his father's wives, and he brought their father, he brought their father a bad report. So, this is going to be really easy. I told you it was a dysfunctional family. Well, it's, it's a real family. And so what you have to start with is you've got this young 17-year-old who goes back to dad, and he's a tattletale. He said, dad, let me just tell you what your sons, probably not his brothers, let me just tell you what your sons were doing behind your back and you had no way of knowing. But he's, I mean, he's just 17. I mean, we know this is not going to be a good relationship building kind of activity, being a tattletale, you know, being a little arrogant, coming across as being a little, a little snot, if you will. It's not going to be a good, you know, way to, to, to build a relationship of love and concern with your brothers, but he's just 17. But this is so much more than being a tattletale. It's about trust. And this is foundational for his relationship with his brothers. It's about trust. And, and when trust is broken, relationships suffer. Write that down. I didn't have to tell you that. You didn't have to come to church this morning to realize that. Some of you have experienced that. There's been a relationship that you've been in, and there's been a, a break of trust. And when there's a break of trust, then relationships struggle. So strike one for family unity. Verse 3, now Israel. Long story short, if you go to Genesis 32, uh, after Jacob wrestles with God and he wins, you have to... That'll mess you up a little bit. Now you just want to go back and read it and go, what? How do you wrestle with God and win? He changed his name to Israel. Now Israel, so that's Jacob. Jacob loved Joseph. <laughs> it's almost hard to believe. I mean, fix and read this. I mean, are y'all reading along with me? Israel, Joseph, Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other sons. What? Now, you know what? grew up in church, you've probably read this story your whole life. You didn't think anything about that, right? One of the things I love about the people that we reach is that they bring a new perspective for me. And so one of the things I do when I start to read Scripture, I begin to look at it and read it through the eyes of somebody who's never read the story before. And so as soon as you read the story, you think, you know what, God, I'd have probably left this part out. Like, this is one of your boys, you know? I don't think I would have wanted to put this part in there. Joseph Loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age. And he made this beautiful, ornate, this, this robe of many colors. He made it for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than 
any of them, well, they hated him. And they couldn't speak a kind word to him. So strike two for brotherly love and affection. And this is not even his fault. I mean, he's 17. He, he didn't know any better, right? He, he was a tattletale. He was trying to win the heart of his dad. I, I don't know. I, you know. What do you know when you're 17? You know, there's so much about life you don't know, but this is a dad. This is a dad who made it known to his other sons, I love this kid, I love your brother more than I love you, and, and I'm going to give him this special sign. I'm going to make him this, this robe, this special robe. Chuck Swindoll writes in his book, Joseph, A Man of Integrity and Forgiveness, he writes these words. He says, by giving Joseph this elaborate full-length coat, <clears throat> which was also a sign of nobility in that day, his father was boldly implying, you can wear this beautiful garment because you don't have to work like your brother's. These brothers of yours will have to work for the rest of their lives. Wow. So a father, are you following the story? So a father says, I, I, love, I love this son more than I love the other sons. And, and then I'm going to give him a robe, which will mean that he will be different. He will never have to work like y'all will have to work. So every day that those brothers went out in the field to shepherd, to do whatever they had to do, they were reminded that their goody-two-shoes brother, other brother, was at home doing nothing. So again, strike two for brotherly love and affection. And this is his dad's fault. He didn't ask for no stinking robe. Then it says, Joseph had a dream. He had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, <clears throat> listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. Now, don't you want to stop him right here and say, bro, I don't, think I, would have, I, don't, I, think, I don't think I would tell about this dream. What possessed you to want to tell your brothers that you already know hate you? You know there's already this, this wall that's been built some of it's your fault. Some of it's the fault of a, of, of a dysfunctional dad. I don't think I would have wanted to tell this story. His brother said to him, Do you, really? Do you intend to reign over us? Do you think for one stinking minute you're going to rule over us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Now this is a, what you need to know culture-wise is that this is a very unlikely dream because that culture, they followed something called the law of, mm, this is going to be tough, be patient with me, I'm going to try to pronounce this word, primogeniture. It's close. And so what that means is this, it, it, what that means, it just means that the younger always bows to the older, always. That's the key word. So it looks like God's about to do something really, really different. Which, like, if so, you've been one of those people your whole life that because of the culture, because of the skin, the color of your skin, because of your socioeconomic status, regardless of what it is, you've always felt like that you were an outcast. 
You always felt like you were below everybody else. What you need to know is that we serve a God. It's really good news for those of us that feel that way to know that we serve a God that loves to do the unusual. He's countercultural. But for the older brothers, it's not such good news. So, of course, they hated him. And who, who could blame them? I mean, Joseph, in their culture, he's taken what's rightfully theirs. And can I just be honest? I don't, I can't, of course I can. You'll let me be honest. As I was preparing for this, as I was reading this story, trying to just, again, read it with brand new eyes. And trying to see things like I'd never seen them before. And I remember thinking, as I was reading this, I remember thinking, i got to be honest, I don't like him a whole lot. I don't like, I don't like Joseph a lot either. I mean, really? He's, I'm saying he's just kind of spoiled to me. He, he seems like he's a little snot to me. Ain't he a hero in the Bible? It's so like if you're brand new to church and if you're brand new to the whole God thing, you, you know what? You might be losing a little bit of confidence in God, in the Bible at this point. You might be thinking, really? Is this how God works? Is this, how God, is it, is this an example of how God shows favorites? <clears throat> and if you were raised like me and you never really felt like that you fit in with the cool kids, if you ever felt that way, and if you ever felt like that you know, other people thought they were better than you, when you look at this story and you see this, you go, I mean, God... Will you ever be able to love me? It's got to get better than this, right? Let's read on. Then he had another dream. Oh, no. But he's older and wiser now. He's 17 and a half, maybe. I don't know. And he told it to his brothers. He said, listen, he said, I had another dream. This time the sun and the moon and the 11 stars <laughs> were all bound down to me. <laughs> How do you like that? When he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream you had? You little punk. Well, your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the, to the ground before you. And I, this, at this point, I smiled. I thought, Dad, really? Now you want to speak up? I mean, it was okay when he was going to rule over, you know, his, his brothers. It was, everything was cool then. But now, now that you're offended, because now you're a part of it, and you're going to bow down to him as well, now suddenly you're offended. Hmm. His brothers were jealous of him. But his father kept the matter in mind. Strike three. And you're out on the family relationship front. So let's read on and see what happens to this brat. Now his brothers had gone to graze their father's flocks near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, As you know, your brothers are grazing the flocks near Shechem. Come. <laughs> I'm going to send you, you little tattletale. I'm going to send you out there just to see how they're doing. And, and he said, well, very well. So he said to him, go and see if all is well with your brothers and with the flocks and bring word back to me. Then he sent him off to the valley of Hebron. 
And if you're thinking that going out in the middle of nowhere to see your brothers, brothers that you've offended, brothers that you've basically said, I think I'm better than you, brothers that you've basically said, I'm going to take what should be yours, I'm the younger brother, I should be the last in line for all the really cool stuff, and, and as you older brothers, you should be the first in line. You should be daddy's favorites. But basically, I'm daddy's favorite. I got the robe to prove it. And so here's, and so it's a, this, is, this is crazy. And if you're thinking that him going out there to these brothers that he's offended is a good idea, or that this is not a good idea, then you know what? You would be absolutely right. Verse 17 says, So Joseph went after his brothers, and he found them near Dothan. And they said to him in the distance, saw him in the distance, and before they reached him, they plotted to kill him. Now I know this is church. Breaker, breaker. I know this is church, I know this is Sunday morning, but honestly, I think we could look at this, and even those of you that are brand new to church, you'd probably look at this and say, well, the brothers have got to be the villains in the story, Right? I mean, it's, it's not right to kill, you know, you, you shouldn't feel that way. I mean, we all, if you've been raised in church, you kind of get the gist of this. So you're looking at this and you're thinking, the, the, the brothers are definitely the villains in the story, but come on, who can blame them? I mean, they're only human. And maybe this is where a lot of us can relate to the story. Maybe for you, it's the guy at work who got the promotion ahead of you. And the only reason he got the job ahead of you, he got the promotion ahead of you, because he was brown-nosing. For those of you who don't know what brown-nosing means, you can come see me after the service, and I'll be glad to tell you. In other words, he, maybe he lied about the job that you were doing. Maybe he took credit for the, for the job. Maybe, maybe you did the work, but he took the credit. Maybe that was it. Who knows what the story might be? Maybe it's a neighbor who's, who's, I don't know, gotten under your skin for whatever reason. Maybe it's within your own family. But you've been betrayed, you've been mistreated. But you're thinking, but I never plotted to kill him. I mean, I might have said I want to see him dead, but I didn't mean it. I mean, I didn't really mean it. You know, I think that the problem that we as church folk have sometimes is that we focus on actions way more than we do the heart. And of course we do. Actions are important, right? In fact, actions are so important to us church folks that we're really proud of telling people what we don't do. That's the church I was raised in. Hopefully it's not the church that some of you are being raised in. But that was the church I was raised in. So the church I was raised in, one of the things that Christians said a lot was that they, they, made, it a big, uh, they made it a big point to share with the rest of us the things that they did not do. I don't smoke, drink, cuss, or chew. I don't, I don't know. It, it, it rhymed. I'm not sure. But that was kind of it was like four big sins. And if you didn't do those four big sins, you could really be proud of yourself. Or the other thing that you would hear a lot was, I go to church every single Sunday. Can I just say that some of the meanest people I've ever met in my life were people who were there Sunday morning for Sunday school, there for worship, came back on Sunday night for church training. Anybody's ever heard of training union? Y'all remember anybody old enough and been in church enough to even know what that is? Yes. So I used to tell, you know, I used to hear that the people that come on Sunday morning love, love church. People that come on Sunday night love the preacher. People that come on Wednesday night love Jesus. 
Because we had Wednesday night service too. Some of the meanest people I've ever met in my life, so help me Jesus, I'm telling you the truth, were people who never, never missed a single service. People that I prayed, God, if they don't come this week, could you like lead them somewhere? They don't have to show up for every I want to go to those people and say, really, you can take a month off. Take six months off. Have you thought about another church? But we focus so much on actions. And what we do. Actions are huge to religious folk like us. The thing that shocked me is, is I really got into the word is that God is more concerned with our heart. Now, somebody's listening to this going, whoa, whoa, whoa. So you're saying actions don't matter. I didn't say actions didn't matter. What I am saying is God is as concerned with our motivation for doing what's right as he is that we do what's right. In fact, the Bible would even imply this. The Bible would even imply that if you do what's right, but you do it with the wrong attitude, you don't get any credit for it. What? Yeah. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 5. Matthew 5, he says this, verse 21. He said, you've heard, it said to people long ago, you shall not murder. Anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. And all God's people said, amen. Dang right, Skippy. Preach it. Because we're preaching to somebody else, right? But then Jesus said this. He said, but I tell you, anyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. And you're thinking, what? No, that ain't right. I mean, that's, that's like hyperbole. He, it's an exaggeration. He doesn't really mean that, though, right? Well, then he said this. He said, you've heard it said that you should not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Holy moly. You've got to be kidding. So if you're here this morning, you've ever lusted, raise your hand. Don't do it. I'm just kidding. Don't do it. Wouldn't be healthy for your relationships if you were to do that right now. But then that's where religious people get nervous. Because Jesus turns it. We're so concerned with what we don't do and what we do. And God said, what you don't understand is you were born into sin. You're never going to be perfect this side of heaven. Now, I took care of the sin problem. I want you to know that. What I'm concerned about is your heart. I want you to do what's right because you want to do what's right. I want you to love another person because you, you have the love of me within you. And, and, it, and, and the love of me within you spills out onto the people around you. So maybe we haven't taken their actions, actions of these brothers, the villains of the story that seem so deplorable. But our hearts are just as bad or worse than theirs. But luckily Joseph had one brother with a good heart. Verse 21. But when Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Come on. Come on, guys. Don't shed any blood here. Let's throw him into the cistern here in the wilderness and don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said to rescue him from them and take him back to his father. Hmm. So it sounds like initially, right, he has a good heart. 
but he doesn't have a good heart. You know what he's trying to do? He's trying to win the affection of his dad. He doesn't care about Joseph. He's not concerned with Joseph at all, but he has this idea. He says, you know what? Joseph is his favorite son. So, if I, if I can rescue him somehow, you know, if I can take him back, I'll be the hero of the story. And maybe dad will love me as much as he loves Joseph. If I bring the fair-haired son home, it's a story of dysfunction. It's sad. Boy, relationships are complicated, aren't they? So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the, or, the ornate robe that he was wearing. Is it just me, but I thought, you are dumb as a sack of hair to be wearing that robe. Am I the only one? I mean, really, you read that and you think, you wore that robe? Like, if all the robes you could have wore out in the middle of nowhere in the desert to meet your brothers, brothers that already hate you, they've not made any bones about it that they hate you, and you little snot, you're going to wear that robe that's going to remind them, oh yeah, that's right, we're out here in the middle of nowhere working while you've been at home with daddy doing nothing. Didn't seem like a smart move. And they took him and they threw him into the cistern. The cistern was empty, there was no water in it. Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain? Brothers, sit down. Let's reason. What will we gain if we kill our brother and we cover up his blood? So this brother has a heart. Reuben didn't have a heart. This brother has a heart. Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. So he didn't have a great heart either. He's just greedy. He said, Lord, that's don't kill him. Let's sell him. We'll sell him and make some money. And this story is in the Bible. His brothers agreed. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites. They took him to Egypt. I did a little study and tried to figure out how much 20 shekels of silver would be. And, and honestly, no kidding, from the commentaries I read, it could be anywhere from $5 to $500. So Joseph goes from a place of prominence to being the favorite son with a bright future to the pit and then finally into slavery. And he started out so good. He was his father's favorite son. And in one day, his entire life is completely changed. So what do we learn from the story? It's a fascinating story, you have to admit. I wrote, first of all, it ain't first of all, it's all I got. I wanted to come up with some really cool points, but I just got this one. So what's the point of the story? The point of the story for me, that thing that God continued to speak into me, was that God works through dysfunction. It's a crazy story. Did you notice any dysfunction in the story? I hope so, I tried my best pointed out. Of course you did. Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other sons. Old dad had issues. I mean, he was, he was messed up. How about his brothers? Well, they're easy. I mean, they're the villains of the story. But, but come on, man. They honestly, if we just look at it, if we just take off our religious eyes, 
And if we just take off those Sunday morning glasses and just for a minute to read this story for really like it is, you have to admit they had some pretty legit reasons to dislike their brother. And I said dislike, I should have said hate, but I wasn't comfortable with the word hate. And I thought, why am I not comfortable with the word hate? Three times in eight verses it says that they hated Joseph. But that just seemed like so strong to talk about in church on a Sunday morning, I guess. And all that hatred turned into bitterness. And then that bitterness turned into violence. And in verse 25, I didn't read verse 25, but you ought to go back and read verse 29, uh, verse 25. I think it's fascinating. After they stripped him and they threw him into the pit, it says they sat down to eat. A bunch of sociopaths. Psychos. These people crazy. So they take their brother, throw him, you know, throw him down into this pit and say, boys, I'm hungry. How about y'all? see a little bit of flicker of hope, a little flicker of hope, you know, with, with Reuben and Judah, but, I mean, even that, they had other motives. Trying to win his father's love or let's make some money off of it. But at least Joseph, we got Joseph. He's, he's the hero. He's the hero of the story. For those of you who've been in church for a long time, you already know the end of the story. For those of you that aren't you know, uh, familiar with the story at all, then you're, you're really left like, what happens? What happens? You'll have to come back for the next few weeks. For those of you that have, you want to say, yeah, but you want to raise your hand and go, yeah, but I know how the story ends. I know how the story ends. And he's not a snot. And he's a really good man. And he comes, he's the savior of his family in the end. But we're not at the end. At best, he's a naive 17-year-old. At best, he's a naive 17-year-old. At worst, he's selfish, spoiled, and arrogant. So what's the point? Well, the point is there's tons of dysfunction in this story. But here's the amazing thing. Through all this dysfunction, God was up to something. That doesn't excuse any behavior. It wasn't at any time that the brothers could raise their hand and say, yeah, but we know that one day this is going to be written down in a thing called the Bible, and, and we know that people all over the world, literally for thousands of years, are going to read this story, and so it's, it's, it's all good. You know, I mean, God's going to take our actions, and then he's going to show people, that you can't, no, they couldn't pull that card. Wrong is wrong. But it does mean that God's always at work even through and often in spite of our dysfunction. And I just think that's cool. That's why I love the Bible. I love the Bible because it's honest. I always haven't heard it betrayed that way. Because maybe as preachers we're a little concerned, you know, about sharing with you the truth of the story. And we just want to highlight the really good parts and maybe kind of gloss over these parts. But I think, I think that the older I get, the more beautiful those stories are because I go, God, this is, so, this is such good news because you work through dysfunction. You don't cause dysfunction. You're not trying to create dysfunction. Sin did that. It wreaked havoc in the world. We can blame Adam and Eve for that. But the thing of it is, is that God, in spite of all of our dysfunction, bad attitudes, wrongdoings, evil hearts, you're still at work to do something beautiful. Some of you sit here this morning and you carry some really deep wounds from a dysfunctional family. 
And you could probably tell us what happened to you like it was yesterday. I know I have my stories. I have my stories, and honestly, I'll confess this in front of my wife, and she's sitting here. She'll probably say, amen. I don't have a good memory. I used to, I, they used to worry me, and I think, I, just, I guess there's just things I choose to forget. But there's some things in my mind, there's some things from my childhood that I still remember like it was yesterday that I wish I could forget. My guess is, because Springwell's always been a church that reached, reaches the broken. is that you could probably raise your hand right now and say, you have no idea what I've been through. I remember, actually before I was in the ministry, I had the opportunity to, to lead a, a young 16-year-old who was dying of muscular dystrophy. In fact, I, I watched him take his last breath. And I remember we'd pick him up on a Sunday morning and... Uh, We'd take him to church. His mom and dad were divorced. Neither one of them were in church. I can't remember now how I met the kid. I'd pick up him and his 13-year-old sister. I'd pick him up. I'd put him in my vehicle, and I'd take him to church. We'd keep him, and we'd feed him lunch. And then sometime that afternoon, we'd take him back home. I remember it was in the winter, and one afternoon, after church that night, he got on the phone, and his sister called called their mom, said, Mom, we're coming home. You can't come home. You can't come here. I don't have any heat. You can't come here. So then she said, well, call, call your dad. So she called her dad, and her dad, I heard, I, listened, I heard this with my own ears, cursing on the other end of the phone. Well, you're not coming here. <laughs> I remember thinking, well, that's great. <laughs> Where are we supposed to take you? Ended up staying with us for a week, and I remember we called DSS, and I remember DSS said, we, we need to get him out of this home. DSS said, you know what? The chance of you really being able to remove that child is almost slim to none. Because you take this child, you put them on a witness stand, they'll never say anything against their parent, even a child that's been abused. Why? And I couldn't wrap my brain around that. I thought, why? Why? Because you just want your parents to love you. Some of you have experienced that. God didn't cause it. He didn't create it. But what I want you to know is that God is crazy about you. And he wants to take the pain of your past, whatever that may be, and turn it into something beautiful if you'll allow him to. If you would be honest enough to say, man, I'm going to... I was raised in dysfunction. Maybe you're one of those people who say, I'm, I'm in the middle of dysfunction right now. You were raised in dysfunction, and guess what? You married somebody else. I, I said, you know, marriage is two broken people coming together with a mess. <laughs> am, I, am I telling the truth? And somehow you think two broken people are going to come together and make a whole, it's just a whole bunch of mess. That's what you bring. So you have to figure that out, and it's hard work. It's such hard figure it out and learn how to navigate. God wants to bring wholeness to your brokenness if you'll let him.
So if you'd say, you know what, Scott, I, I just, you're, I've come from dysfunction. I just need some prayer. You just lift up your hand. Anybody brave enough? And my hand's up, so you know. <clears throat> Lord Jesus, I want to just, I want to pray for a group of people, Lord, who could relate to parts of this story that they didn't see coming. The dysfunction, the brokenness. And Lord, it's reminded them of some hurt and some pain that they've never really been able to get past. Lord, will you speak to them and give them hope? And Lord, this story will be a story of how you dysfunction and turn it into something really, really beautiful. Every head still bowed, every eye still closed. Maybe you're here this morning and uh, you're not a follower of Jesus and you would think, well, how in the world does this story possibly relate to me? It's easy. That God loves crazy, messed up people like us. Maybe that's why you're here this morning is there's this brokenness in your life. That's what's brought you here. You're just searching and seeking. I want you to know that God's crazy about you. He loves you. And you're here this morning because the God, the creator of this universe, has been orchestrating moments and people have been inviting you. And, and you, you're not here by accident this morning. It's for you to hear the words, I love you from him. What you need to understand is that he loved you so much that he sent his son Jesus. And that Jesus loved you so much that he understood his purpose to be on planet earth, God in the flesh, to go to the cross and on the cross to shed his blood, to give his life to pay the penalty for all of our sin. All of our dysfunction, all of our hurt, all of our pain, all of our junk, Jesus paid the price for it on the cross. On the third day, he was raised from the dead, and he's alive. And this morning, right now, he's speaking to you, and he's telling you that he loves you, what he wants from you. What, what does he want from me? He wants your heart. He wants you just right now just to surrender your life, to say, God, you know what? I'm mixed up, and I'm messed up, and I need forgiveness. To ask him for his forgiveness, and then just to say to him, from this day forward, I'm just ready to surrender my life to you. So if that's you, just pray a prayer something like this. Maybe you just say, God, I don't know how you could love somebody as crazy and mixed up as I am, but I am glad that I've heard this morning that you do. Wow. You love me. And you proved your love. A kind of love that I can't understand that you'd be willing to give your life, that you'd be willing to die on a, a cross for me. Thank you for paying the price for my sin. I know you're alive. I believe in the resurrection, and right now I'm just surrendering my life to you to the best of my ability. Father, thank you so much. You're a God of integrity. That sounds stupid to say. Like, well, duh. But that you would, you would write a book, and within this book, you would put 
not just great heroes, not just great men of faith and women of faith, but God, that you would, you would record their mixed up, crazy, dysfunctional lives. For crazy, mixed up, dysfunctional people like us to give us hope. That through all of the dysfunction and hurt and pain, that you're still at work to bring about good. Lord, thank you. We love you. It's in your sweet name we pray.